welcome to Musitations, Sound Healing and Sound Wisdom for a World in Need. On Musitations, we explore all things musical, meditative, and creative for healing, transformation, and awakening the relationship between nature, culture, and the soul. I'm Michael Branty Maria, and I'm your host and guide on this journey on the edge of a new millennium. I bring my 30-plus years of experience as an integrative wellness guide, best-selling author, meditation, yoga, mindfulness teacher, and a four-time Grammy-nominated musician. Join me now on this adventure of awakening the soul. So welcome to another episode of Musitations. I am your host and guide, Dr. Michael Brant Maria. And I'm just thrilled today because we are going to have a solversation with my oldest and dearest friend, uh, soul brother, Dr. William Schultz, otherwise known as Bill. And we have been friends for 42 years. And I can honestly say that so much of the inspiration for musitations which is the combination of meditation and music and the message that we are music started with with Bill 42 years ago and there's so much uh, I, I want to say a little bit about our, our journey together but I I want to first say he is also a fellow PhD doctor of philosophy in strategic management he's been an educator and administrator for most of his professional career, including being vice president of academic affairs at Albertus Magnus College in Connecticut. He's currently at Walden College. I'll let him share a little bit about that at some point. But prior to all that, and, and his, uh, his academic credentials are awesome, um, more than that, deeper than that, Bill was the first person I ever had a solversation with. I didn't even know what a solversation was. In fact, <clears throat> I've coined the term. I've heard other people say it, but I remember coming up with it through one way of describing our connection, our relationship, and the solversations we have had, the musitations we've engaged with over 42 years to the point that we used to record our silversations because there was something rich and deep and meaningful in them. And it also helps me share with you because the quality I've always felt in our conversations, Bill, is that it was always a process of discovery. And that to me is what really separates a silversation from a conversation. Silversation is when two souls are meeting <clears throat> with the intention of learning more and not just regurgitating one's biases and beliefs, but rather be in a open, receptive attitude of curiosity. And, and, <clears throat> and I, I honestly have to say, Bill, that that was so so powerful in our first connections. And then I also want to say, Bill, not only introduced me to meditation, first one. I didn't even know what meditation was. I, I was 15, 16, and shared um, <clears throat> Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. 
by Suzuki. And that book became like a, a bit of a Bible for us. And also he was the first one to, to introduce me to Keith Jarrett and some other music that I, I wasn't aware of and improvisation in, in musical uh, arena. And our very early, first person I also ever improvised with, I always said I've been improvising myself since I was seven, but to improvise music in the moment for meditative healing. Our musical conversations were the same as our solversations. They were an inquiry into being, sound and silence, and a, the exploration of kind of the connection that we felt, not only between ourselves, but what I actually like to think of as the soul of the world, the soul of the universe. So without further ado, I want to introduce our guest today on Musitations, Dr. William Schultz, my dear friend and brother, Bill. Welcome, Bill. It's great to have you here today. Thanks, Michael. My, my friend and soul brother, Brant. It's, uh, it's really good to be here. As, as you noted, we've been doing this on and off for 42 years. And uh, when you say we've recorded some of these conversations, it uh, uh, was really cool to receive this gift of the audio tape recordings that we did when we were in different parts of the world back in graduate school days. Uh, it really reawakened a lot of the artist in me, which I thought was uh, quite a gift. It was. It was so, uh, so powerful. And, and to come across the tapes, that they were still intact enough so these were audio tapes that, you know, uh, for the audience, Bill and I taped to each other from 1982 till the mid-90s. And there, there were dozens of hours of these amazing... Uh, so we just... I was able to digitize them and sent them to you, Bill. And, and, and listening to them was equally profound for me. And it, what's interesting is, again, our, th this theme of music throughout and... Music is a way of, of not only being in the present moment, but also telling a story. And what do you think about, you know, one thought I had is, that, I mean, I, I, I have often said to other people that music has saved my life many times. Would you, would you agree for yourself? Do you feel that's too strong of a statement? Or tell me, tell me your thoughts on that, your feelings about that. So I think, you know, my discovery of music as a companion in life is, uh, yeah, I, Nietzsche wasn't wrong. <laughs> a life without music would be very difficult. Um, I, I do think um, it's, it was one of the first tangible ways that I could really quite knowingly and confidently feel part of something greater. Mm. And uh, the interesting thing was I showed interest in music when I was very young neither of my parents are all that musical. They like music, but they're not musicians. And uh, when I said I wanted to play guitar, I wanted to learn piano, they didn't resonate with that. And, you know, I played sports and my parents were very, very supportive and engaged with me as a, as a child. But I didn't really learn music in any technical way. I discovered it through listening and then through self-discovery with the guitar mostly. Uh, and then later in life with the voice. Um, and uh, that became a way to to connect to something greater, to 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 do some co-therapy with the world, 
uh, music as therapy has always been a very important thing. So in that, in that way, I think, yes, I think in ways in which um, we, we can express ourselves when words won't work. Uh, yeah, music has been a lifesaver, I think, in many ways. That's beautiful. We share that in common that that both our our parents, our sets of parents, we both had a real inclination, um, even gift for music from a very early age and interest and was actively, I know for me, actively discouraged. For you, it was sports. For, for my family, it was much more academics, although I did, you know, explore sports and which became important to me but but it was really because i was actually first discouraged from my parents and and it was fine and cool in middle and elementary school first part of middle school but from about seventh grade on i actually began being teased for you know being a musician playing piano and and the peer pressure to be be an athlete and jock became overwhelming and and i'm glad for that because i found the music of sports and i i again this idea of musitations we are music to me we live rightly and well and deeply when we experience the world and ourselves as music and and again i know you you've heard this line from the from the poem original voice i i wrote on my vision quest 20 years ago each moment is a note in the song of today and that makes me think of i you know so much of the inspiration of my music came from our early experiments. And, and here we are, we, we, we were not technical, we're still not technical players. Uh, you know, in fact, we, we would sit down out at the piano and you with the guitar and we used to call it soft space. And it was a profound experience. It was better than any drug at the time, better than any alcohol, but we would spend hours and they were very, you know, it was, there was no such thing as new age music. You know, it was, it was before Wyndham Hill, as far as I can remember, it's before George Winston, Fresh Air. A lot of the music was before music for airports. Um, I think Pink Floyd maybe had just come out and w with Dark Side of the Moon. And we were, we were very meditative, you know, we were very minimalist and literally playing often one or two notes at a time we we were creating a lot of space i think one reason we called it soft space we 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 both had a love of the stars and the sky and i'm curious your reflections on it but my reflection was that these were even so many years later you know spending four years with david darling and music for people a lot of the things they taught me were things we were doing intuitively and and that always, you know, blows me away and surprises me. And on those tapes, we were doing this kind of back and forth exploration. And both of us, I think, felt insecure about that. So we were trying to like learn songwriting and songs and do the more traditional thing. But I actually, looking back on it now and where I am musically and the success I've had, um, which I've been humbled by, is that what was special, what was actually cutting edge, which was what was actually visionary was actually the very innocent, simple, spacious, minimalist improvisations we did that we called soft space. Thoughts about that? Yeah, I think, I think for me, never having been a technical musician, never having been trained in uh, some vocal, but um, not understanding theory, not understanding chord structure, um, 
I, I was led to discover sound in sort of its essence, what I felt, and then I would try to find a way to take what I'm feeling and, and express it in sound. Um, so that authenticity, I think, is what really what what still drives me. I, as you know, I've done very little recording. Uh, I, my my dear friend Scott Smith asked me to do some guitar work for really short a minute here, two minutes there in between sessions of a of a play at one point um and but that's about the only kind of formal recording i've ever done mainly because i can never repeat anything that i do you know <laughs> again <laughs> i can get in the ballpark uh but pretty much every time i pick something up even if it's a theme that i can i know it, it's a improv, improv improvisation a real-time improvisation um what I find so fascinating, what I remember from our days long ago, and uh, what happened to me last two, two, I guess two Saturdays ago, um, I've always thought of it as disappearing into this river of sound, this mm. river of being. Mm. So when we were playing, I would have no idea we'd be playing for a couple hours. And a couple Saturdays ago, I got up and I, I felt, I felt moved, and hadn't played. I'd been, you know, pretty, pretty blue quite frankly, over, over stress with COVID and, and other things happening all around us. And I hadn't been musical in months and hadn't been singing, hadn't been doing anything. I got up one Saturday and I had just purchased a ukulele for the first time to, to try that. And just an explosion of new sound and new melody and new feelings came just bursting out. And all of a sudden I I was playing the ukulele, then I would go play my classical guitar, then I even sat at the piano and the cello, and each time I, I had just rivers of, of music coming out that I had never played before, mm -hmm. that I, I didn't record or capture, and then my wife came downstairs and said, well, what was all that? That was amazing. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I just sat down and <laughs> there I was. And that's kind of the music, you know, that's music as being, you know, so you say we are music, those moments with you or when I'm playing in my music room, uh, when I, that connects, it's amazing because space and time just disappears. Mm. Oh, that's just beautiful. Poof. It's just gone. Music to disappear into, which yeah. I, I think Mickey <laughs> Hart or somebody I think may have done a song like that, but that's what I think of this. I love that. I've, I've never heard you express it quite that way, but a river of, of sound that we dissolve into and, and, it is, it is, for lack of a better phrase, yeah, a mystical experience, which is a sense of oneness with, with all things. And, and I love, it's so interesting you came up. I was actually interviewed for this documentary on New Age music, and they were, they were asking about, because I've never, you know, have issues with that, that moniker. But I really, when, when I it kind of, I said, well, I really feel like, what I consider that what I do is being music. And I and it has both of those, which is the message of musitations, we are music, but also that being level music. And I realize actually as a phenomenologist and a phenomenological ontologist, for those out there, ontology is the study of being, it's been one of my fundamental forms of inquiry and research into what it means to be, you know? And and I love too about the idea of this, the authenticity and, and playing and expressing from emotion because that's, I've been so, even though I've 
been criticized for not being as much of a rehearsed technical player. I have a lot of uh, people have probably, you know, when I hear them say he's a, you know, there's a sincere, sincere, authentic um, quality, even though it often can be simple, it's, it's authentic and it comes from a real vulnerable place. And, and it's identifiable. It's it, people can hear you and know that yeah. that's you, even though it might not be overly complex. Yeah. And which is so interesting to me yeah. because I'll have friends who, you know, say every time I look when I say, wow, who's that? It's like, you know, and I, and I, I'm not saying that because there, there's some people who'll never get my music or, or your music and that's okay too. It's not that saying it's for everybody, but I do love this uh, message of what it means to be an emotional player and not a technical player it was a revelation to me, you know, I remember when we first discovered, you know, William Ackerman and, you know, you turned me on to him and we were blown away. And then it was like, I remember you saying, you know, uh, Brandt, you know, I, I've been, I've checked out two or three of these other, I'm like, every single Wyndham Hill artist is like amazing. You know, the whole, the whole catalog. And, you know, all of a sudden we were both like, I mean, both of us had just a pretty amazing collection. But for me, many years later, to get a chance to not only meet um, Will, but become dear friends, and we go to dinner when he ever comes in the southeast, and it's crazy that we've become really good friends. And and one of the couple things he, he said was the very things he I mean I can't you know hear this guy who was like an idol of ours sitting down with me at dinner saying, well you know I always was insecure about my playing. I'm not a very technical player, you know I'm. I'm a real emotional player and, and I, what I do is actually, I've always thought really simple. And he also gave me two of the best pieces of advice, which were when you perform and record, um, don't show off and don't hide. And wow. I mean, when he said that I had to call these chill bumps and, and I would say that's often, you know, the way we would have a musical solversation. And, and I, and I guess this is another thing that I, I learned from David Darling, which is, this was one of his favorite phrases, you're always playing a duet with silence. And I would say we were always playing a trio with silence. Yeah. You know, one thing you, you, we both did intuitively was listen to the silence as much as to the music. And I think maybe not being technical players, not just playing from our heads, but we were, it almost forced us to play from our hearts and our bodies and from the soul. So I guess, you know, I'd, I'd be curious about your thoughts on silence being part of the conversation we always have when we perform or when we play together, when we, when we explore, but also the relationship between music and the soul. I mean, we both come from a scientific background. We started off as chemistry, physics, math majors, and, you know, we have some pretty funny stories to tell about yeah. that. Um, but, you know, we're also, I consider myself a mystical realist, you know, um, but I'm curious, anything you want to say about silence, music, and the soul? Well, I, I do think you're right. I think that um, much of both music and living itself is, is a dance around silence. And what I find interesting from a cultural perspective is how much we in the West or the United States in particular have come to abhor silence mm -hmm. uh, and do everything we can to avoid it. 
uh, including our, you know, our cell phones, even though they're not making noises, they're filling our brains with, with whatever it is we're looking at with, with noise and sound, if you will. Um, so music is a way for me to recenter, uh, to actually create silence. It's going to sound funny, but to create silence through music. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, the music, music making itself, I think when I'm, when I'm doing something to entertain myself or to relax myself, I, I really do like, I like long sustained notes and I like to hear them blending in overtones with the guitar and then come back in with some, some other kind of rhythm or, or sound to, to pick it up, slow it down. I, um, and you, we are, you're dancing around silence at that point and just letting it come, letting the silence sort of start to eke its way into the, into this, into the music um, and then pick it up somewhere. I don't find myself as an overly aggressive or loud player for that reason. Um, and for me, silence enables reflection. So moving towards silence is always, a, I think, a pretty good thing. And the soul. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think it's it's a given that for me, the we do when you first said it, uh, I don't remember when you said it, but when I first heard you say it, that we are music, it you know, that was the this notion of resonance and the soul. It, it, to me, that's what the soul is. It's the resonator mm. with us in the world. Mm. Um, and if you don't take time, if you don't take silence, if you don't reflect and allow that resonator to do its job, then all of life happens around you and, and you, you, you're not absorbing, I think, anything important at that point. So the, for me, music centers enables the soul to, to emerge. Uh, obviously, good conversations uh, with, with, dear friends and, and family, the soulverizations you're talking about uh, are very similar. So uh, if you're having, if you're having a conversation where, as you say, soulverization, where you are trying to learn something new and not just sort of anticipate what's the other person going to say, how can I respond to it and, and win the day um, that, uh, you know, again, that, that hides the soul. So people who think thoughtfully, who are willing to engage and learn and rethink, uh, to me, that soulfulness as well, and it's very important. I mean, the soul needs to uh, to be heard as well as to 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 hear. Mm. That's beautiful, Bill. Thank you. Yeah, I I so have this sense of similar to we are music. That one thing I learned with working with some indigenous cultures is their understanding of the song of the soul. That that everyone has a soul song. In fact, when I was given my first flute i uh, asked you know how do i play this thing and he said you know only play at night by yourself for a year and let it teach you and allow and discover you're there to, to to find the song of your soul and when you find that song it'll tell you who you are where you're from what you're here to do and where you're going and it was so so profound and, and that become the basis of the play Siotonka, um, which is based upon the Lakota legend, but also cross-culturally there's other forms of, of that kind of message in Aboriginal Australia. There's what they call the song lines. And 
And I love this idea, and that's why that th this new book I'm working on is called Souling, because I think it's more like surfing, skiing, singing, playing, flying. Um, that it's that it's that it is a you know where does the song go when it's not being played, particularly when before written lang written music notated yep. music, that it's there always to be expressed. That's why to me I'm I'm so not attached to the the particular body. I think both of us for, for different reasons, you know, you being premature and other things we've talked about and some of my surgeries that we both had kind of a strange relationship to these earth suits on the earth plane, but that somehow there is something more fundamental, more elemental, more, more essential that, you know, the word soul actually comes from the Nordic soul, which means of the water. And also the old, you know, Latin word anima, which means we get the word animate from. I always think it's that which brings you alive, that which animates you, that which gives you energy. The spirit, yeah. The spirit. And so yeah. this idea of that we, when we're in touch with that, it is like when we're living from that, we're kind of, we are, we do come alive. And I know you, this is something you do with students so beautifully is, is you, you wake them up. You know, you, you get them inspired, which means inspirited, right? Mm -hmm. Or enthusiastic, which means entheos, infused with the divine. Um, I love the St. Exuberi quote you always have on a lot of your emails. Can you share it? It's about building a ship versus, um, you know, what I'm talking about. I do. I'm just seeing if I can pull, pull it up. Yeah. yeah. If you want to build a ship, don't herd people together to collect wood and don't assign them tasks and work, but rather teach them for the endless immensity of the sea. Yeah, so see, they have the desire to get there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's that, that in Theos, enthusiasm, inspiration, that, that to me is when we're in touch with our soul, that it, it does have this visionary quality, which is to me similar to the quality of, of, of playing and performing music, which is one of the greatest. Yeah. To me, it is the closest <clears throat> thing to flying. I know, you know, for those who don't know, yeah. Bill has had a lifelong uh, love affair with with the sky and with airplanes and actually um this we're just doing this by audio but his background today is this beautiful beautiful sky scene with a gorgeous wing uh, of one of his beloved airplanes in the back and and it reminds me and i wanted to bring this around to the relationship between silence and space silence and em the emptiness of space you know we actually were talking the other day about the West's aversion to emptiness. Yeah. And, you know, the Greeks and Romans, although they had somewhat of a concept, they they didn't have a zero in in their number system, which to me, to be honest with, I think is one of the central problems with it, which is also to me like music that doesn't have space or silence. You know, if, if music does, and I'm not saying there's not a utility to certain kinds of music, but when it's so much loud and it's noise and it's the, the soul doesn't have a chance to breathe and and I think that's you know music that's more egoic versus what I would think of as uh, soul-based or being-based music yeah. which to me is you know part of that for me the mission of my music is bring a little more sanity peace beauty and compassion and love into a world that's in desperate need of those um, so we can pause and, and be more conscious 
In other words, sometimes I think of as conscious music that that there's a sense of being intentional, not in a preconceived way. And this, I, I wanted to mention this because it's similar to me what the solversation always feels like, which was always the case with you. And I, when I talked about, I learned as a psychologist early on that when people were in deep touch with themselves and learning and growing, they weren't glib. They weren't, they, they were, they struggled for words. They were, and you know, we, both of us have always, it's like, we have a feeling, we have a, a feel, a sense, and we're trying to figure out a way to put that into words. And, and I wanted to read this, this quote I posted the other day, uttering a word is like striking a note on the keyboard of the imagination. And that's uh, from uh, Wittgenstein. Uttering a word is like striking a note on the keyboard of the imagination. And I would go so far as to say a keyboard of reality. Yeah. And the power and importance, and I mean, what are words? And, and, and what is this thing where we're sending these vibrations through the air? Um, so I know I just, I just, I know I opened a bunch of things there. But I, I've been wanting to share that. And, and I want to say part of that is because I've always felt there's been a musical quality to our solversations that we're both struggling to give expression or shape to something moving between us, beyond us, and superordinate to us. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. I, I think uh, one of the things I regret, and I don't really regret much in life, one thing I regret is not having learned formal music more early or ever because <laughs> if I could keep the gifts that I think I've been given now in terms of the ability to improvise and, and connect to something great, the soul in music, along with a, a little bit more technical capability to write it down, <laughs> um, it would be good. But the, the other thing I regret is I didn't continue along with, with language studies uh, because I, I'm beginning to think that, um, well, I'm a prolific reader. I love to read. I love words. I love vocabulary. Uh, and uh, and I'm, I'm limited by my, my, my English facility. Uh, and English is not the most beautiful language, I'm told. Uh, go back to my family history. I can remember my grandmother speaking Portuguese. I listen to people speak Portuguese and, uh, and and other romance languages, and the, the lilting, the, the, the flowingness of the language is, is, uh, is, is quite amazing. So for me, talking is a form of music. There's no question about it. Um, and when I read, at least when I read for pleasure, I, I really like to dwell in the words. And if there's a word I don't know, I go check it out, and then I try to speak it to bring it to life. Um, because as you and I shared many years ago, um, you know, lang language does limit us greatly. And if we don't expand our language, we don't always continue to try to expand it, then, then we can't communicate all that well when something complex or, or interesting comes along and, and we only have a few words to sort of describe it. So that's so beautiful. Yeah. We, I, I worry, I worry, my perception is that the younger generations are not writing nearly as enough, uh, uh, nearly as much. And 
their kind of writing is very clipped and shorthand. Geez, uh, that 240 characters, you know, becomes the standard. Uh, and it worries me because I don't know how you have a solverization that way. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I absolutely. And maybe that's the, maybe that's what's wrong right now is is this technology that everybody's using um, to have quote conversations. They're not even really conversations; it's just a bunch of people yelling at each other. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was one of my my inspirations. Is that I'm <clears throat> I don't care how many people listen or don't listen to this. So, what do I? What would I really enjoy doing? You know, talking to you know people that that yeah. have depth and that we can have an exploration that that and that's where i think this sense not only not not writing enough but not reading enough and not not bringing deep reflection not slowing down and being present so you can bring a lot more thoughtfulness i think the two the two dangers in any conversation is being everything thought out and scripted and you're just you're just reinforcing your biases and, mm -hmm. and just and this is what we see politically and, and all, on all kinds of levels where yeah. people are there's no presence in the words they're t you know the talking head the other is the thought list so thought out and then thought list which is unconscious speaking and you know listening to me Solversation is thoughtful. It, it it's that both people are tr are not sacrificing presence for information. And you know, there's actually a fascinating. I'm reading one of these ethnographic studies about um, the Anglo Ewe people in Africa, and they have number one, one word about the central sense for them is not hearing, seeing, tasting, touching, or smelling. It's what they call sesa lalame. And sesa lalame means feel, feel at flesh inside. And their main sense that they say that you must feel, feel at flesh inside is cultivating balance. Balance in everything from how to carry, you know, a jug of water on your head to how to be balanced in your body and in your relationships, in your emotions, all of that. But it also goes to their language they consider just like this quote that every time you speak you're encountering the opportunity to be artful you know the 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 balinese people have a similar idea in their word kebyar which for that is an artfulness in living which they see it's very similar to persig's quality bill and i are both a persig fan that what brings quality into doing the dishes um, doing whatever you're doing is presence and love and creativity and and that is becoming a lost art you know and and that's why i i, I for me this idea of having conversations with people is, is so important yeah yeah, and, and of course that all resonates so nicely with with Eastern traditions and where we're, where we started with Zen Buddhism, um, with this notion that there's no task too small, um, no no activity too humble. Um, it's a it's just an you know 
if COVID isn't teaching us this, it's just, it's, it's a, an amazing miracle that we are here in this very moment to say anything or to hear anything. I, uh, the older I get, the more astonished I am at the miracle that we are part of. And uh, the more I try, though I fail so much, the more I try to remember that, that it's a gift and that I'm not do anything uh, and that I should take the opportunity to create in the moment um, and not necessarily overvalue the future, which may not exist. And um, another challenge for me, and I know you share it too, is, you know, don't hang out in the past too much either. <laughs> I <laughs> oh love goodness. the past. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> oh, man. Amen. Especially as we get older. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, and, but, you know, again, it's relative to the new things I read, new kind of aha moments that I have. Then I reflect back on, on my lived life. Um, but, but the point is you're right. I mean, it, taking the opportunity in the moment to say something interesting or to say a word or to feel a word. Um, it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty remarkable. And, and I, I wish more people would experience the joy of that. That's beautiful. Um, Bill and I, um, it it's kind of, well, it's kind of like why I think again, you and I love, you're, you're taking active steps in it, but we love films too, and the art of film. And for me, the art of film, which, which I like so much, and I say film, but also digital filmmaking, it's, it's not just the, the love of the, of the celluloid. But anyway, filmmaking is such a nice interweave because you can bring out this, this beautiful lush texture of word, but also wrap it in, in sound and music and light and color and you're, you're capturing the essence of what we capture in, in our lives. I mean, yeah, we can see in 3D, but let's be honest, 99.9% .9 of the time, we're perceiving things in 2D. Absolutely. In our absolutely. world. Which we, means, right? So. Absolutely. <laughs> Which I think of as living in your concept, concepts of things, conceptual yeah. living and not sesalalame, which is feel, feel it, flesh inside. Um, yeah. no, I, I do. I think there's the power of, of, of film is, and I remember as a kid, you know, especially films that you could experience what we've been talking about, which is presence, yes, exactly silence and depth. And, and I actually find the quieter my mind gets, the more open my heart becomes, the more in touch with my soul I am, the more I'm in that enchanted place I was as a child. Mm. And then, then my whole life feels like, you know, I remember thinking this was a crazy thought when people, you know, like if a psychologist would come and go, I feel like my life is a movie, you know, or I hear like a soundtrack to my, where I go through my, and it's actually, there's all kinds of, you know, things, ideas of reference or thinking that that could be something pathological. But, but actually what I find is the more awake I am, the more I'm in touch with the natural fluid flowing of reality as a one thing doing everything. Yep. You know, Alan Watts talked about this, Persig talked about this, that you, you start realizing there's not many things that are somehow interacting. There's one thing going through infinite permutations and mutations, which also is this idea of life and us and everything being a form of music. Yeah. 
And when I get real quiet and real present, you know, there isn't there is a music of the spheres. There is a music of nature. There is a music of of just, you know, what I in, in my in my one piece first light, I I call it the hum of God, which is this kind of like underlying drone that's always going on that I can yeah. tune into now pretty effortlessly. Well I'm I'm glad you brought that up because I, I have to say that that I love your work, but the river by is still by far my favorite. And first light is one of my favorites of, of that as well. Bless your heart. Just, just, to, I, I, I can, I can be there when I listen to those particular tracks mm -hmm. so easily. And I, I kind of like to have you make another extended LP version. <laughs> That's awesome. I've, I've, I've thought about it. You know, it's coming up on the, um, 2023 will be the 20th anniversary and I I've definitely thought about remastering doing something but I'd love you know that was before I I studied with David Darling and music for people I was it was even more innocent and it amazes me looking back on it and you're not the first the only person who says that many people it remains their favorite and it was the one that it's never been promoted on the charts it's never yeah. won any awards because it was before I even knew how to release an album on the charts so uh, but it there was this it was my firstborn there was a very there was a certain innocence and uh vulnerability in it yeah. and i you know i i did the final mix and master mastering well i had it go well, took it out to master but i was fasting for a week on a, on the it was the 10th anniversary of my vision quest night 2003 that i finished that and and so thank you it means the world to me and and actually, that's a, a great segue because I know um, we'll have to do another one of these. But I I know um, you know we're coming up on you know usually keep these about an hour, fifteen, twenty minutes. But the awareness of of death, you know, the river actually was created for um, hospice, and it actually was like on um, one of the the. The one thing it did receive in San Francisco was like the staff favorite in what's called Growth House Radio, which was all for terminally ill patients and hospice patients, particularly of, with AIDS and cancer. And And the whole message is, as Ocean was the follow-up, is that the native idea is that the soul's journey is like going down a river we've never been down before with great beauty and great challenge, and that at death, does the river die? No, it becomes the ocean. It becomes the sea. And although nothing is lost, everything changes. And I've also always loved the idea of that for me over years, I've come to see the canoe we're in is our earth suit and our ego. And that becomes tattered and beat up as you go down the river. And as you, but as you get closer to the river, the river has gotten deeper and wider the whole time. And as that happens, you become aware when the river becomes the sea that the body and the ego were never who you were. And you've been identifying with the canoe this whole time going, oh, fuck, you know, it's dying. It's it's almost gone. And, and you realize the whole time you've been the river. And the soul has gotten deeper and wider. And to me, that's my favorite metaphor of life and death that, that, has been so informed and the river was i cried while i was so many because i took that journey and the, the idea is that you can live a whole lifetime in one day because the whole you're going through the river one day 
which is the medicine wheel, you know, sunrise, which is also one year, spring, midday, summer, sunset, fall, later in life, uh, midnight, which is, you know, coming to the end. And then that place of emptiness, uh, which is that, you know, the track stillness is one of my favorites. And the idea is the native idea of the medicine wheel. We live, we live a whole lifetime every day. And, and the way you live a day will mirror the way you live a year and which will mirror the way you live your lifetime. So my question is your thoughts on the awareness of impermanence and death in terms of everything we're talking about and the importance of it for living an authentic present life. Yeah. So I think that was the gift of, of discovering Zen Buddhism as young as I did. And I never was a practitioner in any way. It was a, it was an introduction to a new way of thinking, but I I never became a a full practitioner. Um, But what that did was get me interested in Japan and got me interested in Sakura and the notion of the fleetingness of things. Um, And uh, that was a great gift because it was relatively early on, I guess, that I came to understand that every day could be the last day. Family of thought, I've been a bit morbid at times. I know I shared with you this notion of death sitting on our shoulder, which is a Zen concept and a, and a samurai concept. Um, and I, you know, obviously, I don't think there's, a, if, you, if you notice, there's not a single day that goes by where you don't notice death. Now, obviously, you watch the news; you're going to get it in a in a in a in a overdose. Uh, but just small things, um, insect on the on the window uh, that has been trying to get out, looking for the sun and doesn't know to to get out, and you just it's uh, so it's ever present. And and you're right. I mean, the the ocean is there, and and we're heading towards it, or we're we're nearly in it or we're, we're in it. Um, and we just don't really recognize it. Um, I know in the, in the spring, we had a remarkably beautiful spring here, um, which was contrasting with just the horrible, you know, evolution of what was happening with COVID. And I was sitting out on, on the porch multiple days, um, getting some sun and, and just feet, feeling exactly what you're describing this notion of being balanced and feeling the moment the sun the warmth on my on my body the the beautiful vivid colors in in my eyes and the sounds of the wind and the it it was all it was a covid for me has been a reminder that we're all moving towards the ocean and that um during the journey it's probably better to take care of one another uh, and hook up canoes, if you will, and, 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 and row together than it is to be so singular and solitude. And the irony is COVID's forcing us to be more solitude uh, physically, but not spiritually, right? I've had some amazing conversations the last few months with my, my friends and family and some arguments and some debates about what this is all about. Uh, but I, I think if, if we and do another one of these that would be good to talk about that that relationship of 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 for me how music uh connects us to death mm. right because once the, like you said once the music is gone and is ended especially if it hasn't been written down where is it 
and you know it's still there it's been created it's out in the in the universe and i can sometimes pick it up again myself and sometimes somebody else will pick up something i love hearing themes of music resonating across eras and they're not you know for me it's not people stealing from one another i don't think that's the case maybe occasionally but for the most part it's it's uh, uh certain feelings might elicit certain reactions that make a sound and it happens to be something you might have heard way in the past so it sort of echoes um so it's a long a long complicated answer to a no, it was beautiful. Question. It was beautiful. That's because I, I was thinking these, these archetypal themes that express um, that. And it makes me think that I, I really feel that, uh, you know, also having you turn me on to, to Zen and Buddhism, but it became central in my part, my practice for the last 40 years. And with my fact, I was just with my, my Zen teacher of 40 years, um, Dr. Bill Michaelis, who, who wrote taming the drunken monkey was hanging out and we you know we'll meditate for hours at a time and and the sense of keeping death over your shoulder has been so valuable for me and that we talked about and you first introduced me to and you know we find it in many indigenous cultures as well and i really feel that was another something we shared when the poignancy of our music when we did it together or not, the sense of the depth of the silence that somehow was always connected to that last note dissolving. I really feel there is something about both our souls, because we've talked about having been monks perhaps yeah. in another life together, that experiencing dissolution and death with the last note of every song. Yeah. that there was a way in which, and I do feel, because I, that that I do feel is one of my, not intentionally, but like you said, these things that come through, we both love adagios and requiems, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. That, that I think it really informs, one of the reasons I love the Native American flute is it's so bittersweet. It has such a sorrowful, mourn, uh, mournful, joyful, there's, there's a sense of honoring the radical contingency of this world of impermanence, but also celebrating the absolute beauty because it is ephemeral, like those clouds behind you, mm -hmm. you know, that it they are constantly dissolving and appearing. And yet within that, there's a dance and a beauty that's so profound. And I really feel that that was something that, that really informs my life and work, particularly in, in with poetry. And I, I wanted to touch on that before we finish too, was, because when I say musitations, I mean all the muses, mm -hmm. poetry, film, music, movement. And and I know, in fact, you know, when we talked about this, you shared a, a poem that found you last night. And I, I love you know, saying that. I just popped out. That's how I feel. You can't go in search yeah. of a poem, but you have to be open and receptive to it coming to you. But I, I guess I want to say there's the last piece about this before hearing your thoughts is, I don't know if you ever saw the movie at the French film, All the Mornings of the World. I haven't. Oh, there's this um, a beautiful scene by Marin Moreau, I believe is his name. Uh, and he, he is a, I want to say viola player, um, or maybe he's a cellist and he's teaching Gerard Depardieu, who's dating his daughter, 
um, how to play the viola. And he's like this master. And he had lost his wife. And, and he goes to the this trailer in the back of his house. And he plays the most, I mean, even in the movie, and just brings you to tears. And Gerard Depodar is this young you know, upstart who just is interested in fame and fortune and, you know, money and women. And this man is such a, the teacher is so devoted to his task and he can't understand the, how do you, he, he's like, you know, teach me to do that, you know, but he's having him do scales and this and that. And he goes, teach me that. And, and there's a moment when he finally it's candlelit and he gets angry because he's, you know, he's seducing his daughter without real in any kind of conscience or, and this line was, is just burned into my soul. And, and I think about it often when I'm composing or recording. And they show him playing to his wife who had passed away. And he said, you must play every note as the person, as if the person you love the most in the world is dying. Wow. And when he played, his, his wife appears to him. And so this, this, this relationship between love and grief, to me, is the essence of music for me. Yeah. Because every note is disappearing just like each moment is disappearing mm -hmm. and and i think that's the, I, and i want to say you know one thing i'm i'm so glad i met you at 16 i can't remember it was 16 17 15 16 whatever it was because i don't feel like i ever met anyone who had that level of presence and poignancy and none of the adults i had met up until that time definitely none of my contemporaries that that we shared this way. I remember our first conversation, we talked for hours yeah. and we had both moved from the Northeast to the South and we we're pretty damn lonely. <laughs> and, uh, and I just remember uh, my soul being fed. It was, I felt seen and heard, you know, this kind yeah. of brings us full circle again, seen and heard because I was always people telling me you're too deep. You know, I don't know <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? You know, Jung said, loneliness is not being alone. It's not being able to talk about what's important to you. Yeah. And I just, I want to honor that. Um, you were the first person on this planet I felt seen and heard by and that I could talk about what was important to me. So I, well, I thank you for that. I appreciate that. I, I had no idea our paths would cross. And now looking back and forward, it looks like in it, it they've been crossing for for thousands of years <laughs> it's because i i mean one of the things that's so interesting when people ask about our relationship and i'll say well i said it's one of maybe two or three experiences i've had where i'm convinced that there's something more than just this moment mm. that, that there's a connection that goes beyond as you said this canoe uh, <laughs> yes right yes. uh and, uh, and that gives me great comfort. And I know that we reach out to each other when we, when we have some difficult times. Uh, and it's in part just patching up our canoe, this one, uh, knowing that we've, we've done it for each <laughs> other for a long time. That's right. Yeah, I was going to say, we've known each other for 42 uh, years in Earth time. <laughs> right, exactly. 
Um, but I, I agree. It was, it, it's one of those beautiful things where, oh my gosh, I've just, um, one of the few other ways I felt that is like the flute being this old friend that I had missed for, yeah. you know, eons, but the same thing when we, it was like, oh my gosh, have I, I have so, uh, m- you know, missed you, you yeah. know, when, and here we were. And I, and I, time. and I do think that the soul exists to be part of another soul or, or, or endless number of souls. Right. I think that soulfulness is that which allows us to connect and without it, without it, we've basically gone down the river in, in a submarine yeah. all by ourselves. And that's, that's pretty lonely. So that's beautiful. <laughs> well, it goes back to, I love that you use the word resonator. It's, it is, it is just like this, you know, C string is vibrating. It's going to vibrate another C string. It, there literally is a vibrational resonating. I heard this just the other day and I loved it. And that is that, um, the more that you experience the world as other, the more lonely and disconnected and unhealthy you'll be. The more you experience the world as as connected and somehow part and parcel of you, the happier, more peaceful yep. and healthy you will be. And I think we're in a period of time that people are so obsessed with otherness, like how everything is other or how other people are other. And and that fear, it's, it's kind of that, and and I, it's a, kind of a sad thing, but I, well, I think, feel. I think the very few powerful are using the concept of, of otherness to scare people. Yeah. And, and it is making for an extraordinarily lonely and miserable existence for so many people, even who are very well off. I'm talking about a soulful existence. Uh, and that's really, you know, I, I condemn the, the, the system as a whole, right? The people who lead on the left or the right or wherever you want to talk about it, they don't give a crud about the individual and they're not making it possible for us to reach out to be brothers. Right. They don't want that because that takes away their power. Yeah. And that that's sad. Yeah, that's beautiful. It reminds me, and maybe this is a good place to kind of pause, that this sense of I remember the difference when I first taught by my Zen teacher that the difference between the personal and transpersonal is like looking at an archipelago and that our individual egos are like the islands that appear very disconnected, very separate. But our soul, if you take away that water, that they're all connected beneath beneath the ocean. And you're like the the aspen trees that we realize are the largest living thing on the planet, that each one is individual, absolutely unique, and yet connected. And and I think this is a big thing. And and one thing that I think actually all monotheisms, even even Buddhism doesn't do well enough that that's why we're moving into this next this next iteration, this new millennium, as I say on musitations, on the edge of the third millennium. You're not just a new century, but a new millennium that unity in diversity, that honoring, we do not have to eliminate radical, beautiful individuality. There's a difference between individuality, individualism. You know, I think that the, the key is, and I, 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 you know, you've invited me to teach, teach at some of your, or present at some of your classes. And I know we both have this love of teaching and that part of education means educe, which means to draw out, to bring forth that we actually want to, just like we both went to this unique school, new college without grades and such a, an opportunity to become who you really are, 
to really, I think when we feel safe enough and that we're not going to be attacked and we feel open to become fully who we are, we actually will feel that deeper interconnection and gives us the freedom freedom to though be our individual self. Yeah. And neither side is doing that. It's either Well, that's know, right. Right. And and if you can get to that point, then you can collectively find solutions to problems. Right. Absolutely. Because you realize we are in the same canoe. Yes. Yes. And, and that's beautiful. I uh, beautiful. I don't know what a third act is going to look like, but I know that I want you in it and we're going to do some <laughs> we're going to do some fun things. Amen. So, Thank you. And for that, you know, we're both um approaching our second Saturn return, which is 60. And we talk about often together our third act of of these 30 years and maybe, maybe more. My dad's 92. Maybe we'll have more. Your dad's pushing 90. Um, So uh, is it okay to call you by your middle name here? Absolutely. So, because I remember when you first shared, it was like, you know, you're the only one allowed to call me that. So we've shared our soul names, you know, uh, first soul, it was going by our middle names, um, Brant and Abilis Chisholm goes by Chiz. So I kind of just say, Chiz, it's so great yeah. to have you on Musitations. This was a dream when I started this, that we would have this opportunity. I hope you'll be a regular. I'd love for you to come back. We have so much other things that to share. And including, um, we are finally, after 42 years, looking at trying to do an album together so we can <laughs> let, let folks know as that unfolds. Well, there... I, I appreciate that. I appreciate the opportunity to be here today. Uh, my music making is still very rudimentary, so I'll do my best, but uh, I certainly look forward to the effort. <laughs> well, I just, you know, uh, I one thing that you are very accomplished when I want to hear you sing and that... It, you know, amazing voice and choirs that you've sang in for so many years. And I, I've just always been a fan. Um, is there anything you want to share with our audience before we bring it to a close? No, I, I hope you are all kindred spirits that we can meet. Beautiful. Well, um, Dr. William Chisholm Schultz, um, thank you for being here. You are again, my, oldest and dearest friend and I love you and I so look forward to our third act thank you thank you for joining us and we look forward to seeing you on the next Musitations thanks for tuning in you've been listening to Musitations sound healing and sound wisdom for a world in need where we explore all things musical, meditative, and creative for healing, transformation, and awakening the soul. I've been your guide and host, Michael Brandt Maria. Feel free to check out my music on Pandora, Amazon Music, Spotify, XM Cirrus Radio, or Soundscapes Cable. You can also check out my website at michaeldemaria.com or online programs at alldaypeace.com, alldaypeace.com. Listen to your heart, follow your soul, and we'll see you on the next episode of Musitations.